All right, welcome to Current Affairs Taiwan. We got a great show coming up for you, Mike. What do we got coming up? Well, we got some stuff about negative population growth in Taiwan. We have Wu Shihui of the KMT Party List apparently requesting classified data from the Ministry of Defense. We have some discussion of fake news and the cyber combat going on between uh, Taiwan and China, and the KMT and the 1992 consensus again. And then we talk a little bit about Han Guoyer's recall and Confucianism, and we talk about Taiwan's response to coronavirus. Hope to see you here, or sense your presence. Stay tuned for another great show. Hello, welcome to another edition of Current Affairs Taiwan. I'm Michael Turton, and here's my partner Donovan Smith with a word from our sponsor. Yes, this show is sponsored by Tainan May Jam. This year is the 20th anniversary of this free all original music festival. This year it is May 2nd and 3rd. Check Mayjam.com or Tainan May Jam on Facebook for more information. All right. Thank you, Donovan. Can you, what are we doing with this podcast today? Why am I doing this? Well, uh, you know that I think all of our audience knows that we're big preppers, and with the coronavirus and or the zombie apocalypse upon us, uh, we decided to test out this new equipment just in case. Yeah, but the zombies are attracted to noise, so we have to have a silent podcast in that case. That's all right. They're very popular, I hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got a big slate of stuff today. Why don't we start off? Uh, the government uh, remarked. Uh, the government announced today that we are experiencing negative population growth. Yes. Uh, what it was it? Twenty six thousand people were born, but thirty thousand died, or something like that. Yeah, something like that. So I guess I'm going to have to start stop sending my students back to their home countries, but uh, <laughs> when they them. fail. Lock them in the basement. That's right. But <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, you know, this is something that underneath all this coronavirus stuff and the constant flow of political news, this is a fundamental that still remains to be addressed by political elites in Taiwan. People just don't want to have children. No, they don't. And there's and, a lot of good reasons. Yep. And I don't see anyone talking about this in, in ways that would suggest that something serious is going to be done about it. And they're not making any changes on immigration either. You know, you can address population decline by bringing in more people, but they don't do that either. So who knows? Well, I mean, there, there, there's fundamentally, I think there's three different things that they, that they could possibly do. Which are? Uh, one is, of course, immigration, as you note. The second is they is a, a, ray, a raise in incomes. Yeah, right that now, would go a long the, way. The number one complaint is from prospective parents is that they can't afford to have kids. Yep. They can't afford yep. a, a home, which they feel like they have to own a home before they can have kids, which right. is not necessarily true, of course, but that's a, a, a common perception amongst a lot of people. Yeah. And because, and right now the government just keeps throwing these subsidies, but they're not really enough. No, no. And they only last for, you know, depending on where you are in the country, but up to three or up to five or up to six years old, and then you're out of luck. Yep. Just um, when things start getting expensive, <laughs> bushy yeah. bands and braces and all that stuff. Yeah. The third is to put ecstasy in the water supply. Oh, yeah. I really like that solution. <laughs> Maybe I could just implement it locally, like, like, like in my water fountain here in my building. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be the cheapest option, I think. 
<laughs> but yeah, this, this, but overall this has, I mean, this obviously has national security. It has economic, uh, and social implications. Um, Taiwan's already since about 2015 has been suffering from 2015, 2017. I can't remember off, off the top of my head, but for the last few years now, Taiwan's actually been suffering from a shrinking work force. And oh. because of the declining birth rate, that's going to start to accelerate in the next few years. While the average age of the citizenry gets older, which means that less and less young people are going to be paying taxes to support older people. Obviously, right. a shrinking population means a smaller military, uh, among other things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just it, it, then the negative consequences for Taiwan are going to be very strong. Yeah. Well, let's see. Uh, during the election, the KMT's party list came out with a bunch of old fuddy-duddies. And among them was the most fuddy-duddiest of them all, Wu Sihui, who was a brigadier general who became infamous for what? What did he do? He showed up at a, a ceremony in Beijing. It was in, in China, China honoring uh, Sun Yat-sen. That's right. And uh, it, then there was a speech by Xi Jinping, and he stood uh, for the national anthem of yes, the yes. People's Republic. Right. So, so, yeah. So this dinosaur, what did he do? Apparently, according to news reports, he asked for classified data. That was in some of the headlines I noticed. And I, Taipei Times, yeah. Yeah, so I immediately contacted you and said, Donovan, what is going on and what did you tell me? Well, the then uh, not long after, there was a, another article came out on Focus Taiwan, which is uh, the CNA. And so essentially the story was this. There was uh, accusations that Wu Sihui, who's now on the, I think it's the Environmental Committee, has nothing to do with the military, although right. he is a retired brigadier general. So he had, and and th so there was a, 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 you know, these legislators, very deep green, saying that he was accessing uh, uh, secure classified information from the Ministry of National Defense. The Ministry of National Defense said, yes, he came to us for information. Wu Sihui came back and said, hey, Ministry of National Defense, you've got to clarify this. I did not ask for classified information. I asked for information that was right. publicly available. I see, and then the I Ministry of National Defense came back and confirmed that. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. So, so far, our fears have not been realized. Our fears that as a legislator, he would have access to that kind of information, classified information. So far, yes. Now, yeah. of course, this begs the question. He's a retired brigadier general, yes, but if he's on the environmental committee, <laughs> why is he looking into this? But uh, And he also was famous for, I believe he was on Hong Kong TV, giving tips to the People's Liberation Army on how to defeat the Americans. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, so, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of uh, back and forth about fake news on... Uh, Apparently, this week, Facebook shut down 60 centers of fake news, 60 sites of fake news on Facebook. And there was a great article out uh, at Taiwan Gazette. Taiwan Gazette does translations of um, uh, Chinese language pieces in the local media. You should follow it on Twitter. Just look for Taiwan Gazette. And, uh, or if you can't find it, just message me and I'll point you in the right direction. But uh, Taiwan Gazette does these translations. And one of the pieces they translated this week was something that we had talked about during the election. And this is about how line has become an important vector for fake news because a lot of older people use it 
and they're in zillions of different groups, you know, their yoga group, their morning dance group, their alumni group from elementary school, whatever. And all of those groups are saturated with uh, fake news and memes and nonsense and people speaking on behalf of China. And uh, this week, the Taiwan Gazette piece is about that use of line, the, the importance of line in this, uh, in, uh, in this information environment. So, and you were talking about how Global Times had responded to all this accusations of fake news and Chinese manipulation of uh, of coronavirus data and whatnot, and attacks yeah, on Taiwan. I, I haven't actually read that Gazette article yet, um, but I'd like to check that out. But yeah, I've 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 actually personally encountered that where, um, you know, for example, our our cleaning lady at the office she uses Line for a lot of things. Um, so there's two Global Times now, of course, uh, just. In case you don't know what the Global Times is, the Global Times is a Chinese Communist Party uh, official organ. They're, they're, they're propaganda for, for the PRC. However, it's not exactly uh, the stuff that they run in is not exactly official. It, it, it's not state policy necessarily. It's not the official line. It's where they float trial balloons and things like that. If it's in the People's Daily, you know that's the official line. This is where they throw out some stuff to offend people or rile people up and just or just float trial balloons and see what happens. So the Global Times ran a couple of pieces within four days of each other. First one is cyber attack from Taiwan disguised as COVID-19 related files. And they they say there's phishing emails have been coming out of Taiwan targeting China and uh, and then it's a massive cyber attack <laughs> on the mainland, a Chinese mainland, and steal secret information to the insider. And the targets are government departments, medical facilities, and you know, all this, this stuff. Anyway, right. So the other one was fake online account claims Taiwan donated face masks to Japan amid COVID nineteen. Now these both of these things may actually be true. Um, and in the case of the cyber attacks, I don't know about you, Mike, but frankly, considering all the bad behavior coming out of the PRC, I'm kind of hoping it's true. <laughs> you know what it is, man. It's all these Chinese gangsters hiding out here in Taiwan, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought it was the other way around. <laughs> that we, we, we mutually cross-fertilize here. <laughs> <laughs> all in the name of cultural exchanges. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're all no doubt mods pilgrims. <laughs> so speaking of uh, cross-strait stuff, a friend of mine was on the shortwave uh, the other day, and he heard that Chinese broadcast an attack on the KMT from China. And, you know, that, of course, that's the Chinese international radio station. That's, the, that's a government mouthpiece. And so, you know, he and I were talking about this, trying to figure out what the heck could the target, our target audience for this be? You know, because if it was the U.S. government, which listens to all this stuff, they could just contact the U.S. government directly and ask them, you know, can you do something about the KMT? Can you reestablish relations with it? But it's hard to imagine what it, because I understand in China, shortwave is heavily regulated and not many people will be listening to it. So who could they be targeting here? That's a question that uh, I hope maybe someone can give us a suggestion on or whatever. But, uh, my guess is Wu Sihui because yeah, I don't think he's figured out how to use the intertubes yet. <laughs> no, no, they just line him. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Speaking of the KMT, I hear uh, there's going to be no changes to the 1992 consensus. Well, okay, this this is what it looks like. Is uh, essentially there's they haven't actually really said anything one way or the other exactly. But Johnny Chang, the new chair, has come out and said something uh, basically along the lines of, we need to have something that has the spirit of cooperation and compromise and essentially uh, something uh, basically that is the 92 consensus, but maybe or maybe not called the 92 consensus. Right. So he's going to be convening um, a group of people. They're going to discuss it and then come out with a proposal. So basically, they're they're going to look into it. Yeah, but Xi Jinping has killed this when he equated 1992 consensus with one country, two systems, which made it yep. toxic. And so they I, also I have, and they've Go also ahead. come out and said that the 92 consensus is the only basis for communicating with with the PRC. Huh. So, so I don't understand. Where's the wiggle room? There's none. Yeah. So maybe the maybe the Chinese are actually signaling that they're just going to cut the KMT loose. Well, as we talked about last week, there was that article in the Global Times, if you remember. Yeah, yeah it was, uh, uh, which uh, said essentially that. Yeah. So it will be interesting to see whether they come back and talk to the DPP or whether they start talking to the Americans more, trying to get them to put pressure on the DPP or whatever. It will be very interesting to see what happens. Yeah. One never knows. Let's see. Well, Meanwhile. I, I'm just waiting for the head of the TAO to show, show up on the Brian show. <laughs> the head of the Taiwan Affairs Office from China, huh? <laughs> For the show the late, up on Brian's show. show, the Late Late Show here on YouTube in Taiwan. <laughs> it's a great show. Yeah. It's a very popular show. Uh, and when I was teaching at the university, a lot of my students watched it. I thought mm. it was hilarious. They used to, and there was a couple who used to send me links to shows they thought were really good, including the one where Miali declares independence. That was my favorite one. Mine too, actually. <laughs> And they should, damn it. They've been so ill-treated by the KMT government. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so speaking of the KMT, Johnny Chang this week was communicating with Han Goyer, the mayor of Kaohsiung, because... Because Han Goyer's in a whole load of duty. All right, this is music to my ears. Tell me more. <laughs> uh, he... Okay, so the, the We Care... Uh, or basically the group there's multiple groups that have come together they got the signatures to launch a recall election uh against against Hanguyu they passed two stages the first stage they passed a long time ago and they've just finished the second one they collected over 500,000 signatures they submitted 400 and some odd thousand and they have have submitted those, and the central, the head of the central uh, election commission nationally, said that probably they're they're targeting a recall election will actually take place in the latter third of June. So right now they're just checking the signatures to make sure they're all legit. And then after the recall election, assuming Han is recalled, as I think many of us are thinking now, then they will I have bet on it. I I know, but I think a lot of people are thinking that. Yeah, because it, it, and then if he's recalled, then they have another election. They just repeat the previous election that could put him in power. Mm -hmm. So the reason right. why I just don't know uh, this yeah. is is whether he'll be recalled or not is because they they need five hundred and thousand five hundred and eighty thousand people to vote to recall him. Now, 
that's not necessarily insurmountable. They got over 500,000 people to put their signature to recall them. So it sounds like the number of people who are out there willing to vote to recall them exist. The big difference, though, between the signature drive and the actual recall election is that people have to get up off their butts and go down to a polling station to vote, whereas when you're giving the signature, they just showed up at the supermarket or wherever you were and said, sign here. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot more work involved in going to vote for the recall. So at this point, I just honestly don't know whether it'll pass or not. I think the support is there. The question is, are they going to be motivated enough to go actually vote? That's the giant question. And not being in Kaohsiung, I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be hard to tell. Everyone Everyone has that problem of the blind men and the elephant. Well, in my district, you know, my neighborhood. Right. But it's really hard to tell. Yeah. So uh, in the U.S. this week, uh, they passed the Taipei Act. Well, I think that was last week, actually, which is a sense of Congress act about uh, relations with Taiwan. And this has been widely reported in the media, so I don't think we need to go over it too much. But uh, a couple of things were noticed by sharp observers that you were talking to me about today. What is it about Clinton administration policy in there? Yeah, so there, there's two things that were picked up. One is that the language, now it originally came out of the Senate and then the House made some changes. Um, now the, but the, 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 this was Garrett Vanderweese in Taiwan Insight. He noted that uh, there's some language which Clinton introduced in 1998, which essentially, which had not been U.S. policy up to this point, but it codified and reiterates the language that he used, which said that that to not encourage or or bring Taiwan into organizations which require statehood as a condition for membership. And so essentially, the Taipei Act is doubling down on that, which is not very helpful for Taiwan. No, and it's it's actually hugely outdated now. And that's and a 22 year old policy at this point. And everything has changed since the Clinton administration was kissing China's ass. Yeah. So I, I think uh, hopefully that will get reviewed and removed. What was the other thing about FTAs, free trade agreements? Yeah, this was picked up by Heritage. They know, they were the ones who noticed this. In the original uh, in the original version of the bill, there was explicit support to, to encourage the United States trade representative to begin negotiations to create a free trade deal with Taiwan, which would be good for Taiwan, would be good for the United States. They're very complementary economies, and this would dovetail really nicely with the Trump administration's moves to try and get the the global supply chain less reliant on the People's Republic. Right. However, this went to the House, and the House Ways and Means Committee, controlled by the Democrats, took that language out. What? And left it with some neutered, we encourage more economic and personal interaction, Some something really vague. They've been talking about free trade agreements with Taiwan since the Chen Suibin administration, and always there's been something. Yeah, and so this time it was the Dems on the House and Ways Committee in the House. This just is so unnecessary. Remember this, originally there was the, uh, the, the the beef virus thing, and then it was ractopamine in 
and beef, which and dopamine and pork, which producers pork producers here didn't want to compete with, and now, now this thing, it's just it needs to be done. It's something that should have been done ages ago. Definitely. So, oh, and WSJ had another one of those hilarious articles, uh, which, which I think I that, well, let me tell you this, Dunvin. Here, I think I have this up here on Twitter. I have to read this to you because it's so hilarious. Uh, oh shoot. Yeah, I'm too poor to get past the paywall on the Wall Street Journal. Oh, wait. Here it is. Okay. In South Korea, as in Japan and Taiwan, the lingering cultural imprint of Confucianism gives a paternalistic state a freer hand to intrude in people's lives during an emergency. Says this was written by a Korean, believe it or not. What do you think? (laughs) I think that the long history of Christianity in Europe explains why they all play soccer. (laughs) I think that the long history of Christianity and Christian ethics explains the wide presence of cheese in the Western world. That's it. You've got it. <laughs> just this kind of stuff is just so stupid. It makes me the laugh. Influence of Jesus is why men wear pants. <laughs> because Jesus wore them. <laughs> exactly. In fact, in fact, he wore diesel jeans. Okay. <laughs> and Crocs. <laughs> Uh, but oh. I, yeah, it, it's just complete nonsense. Uh, you know, it's it, Confucianism, as you noted, very, very paternalistic and quick. Which of the major, majorly impacted countries in the region with a coronavirus would you call paternalistic? Hmm. Especially I think it's a, so. I think it's a big one over there. Yeah. Cross that straight there. And you, you notice that when people talk about Confucian states, they almost never talk about Vietnam. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? And we've got, uh, and Vietnam is actually not having to, uh, Vietnam is actually fighting the virus fairly well. Yeah. So you've got, really, you've got Japan, Korea, Taiwan, Vietnam, and China, all of them have vastly different responses to the uh, virus. And they're using vastly different state uh, apparatus. You know, er everything is different. And here in Taiwan, the the response is underpinned by democracy. The government is run by a technocrat. And they're letting the scientists run the show, unlike uh, one of the great superpowers I could name. And <laughs> the vice president is an epidemiologist. It's okay. Pre- it's okay. The president of that superpower says he knows everything about viruses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And the next, and of course, our vice president-elect, who won't be sworn in for a couple more months, he's also a doctor. Yeah. So you've got you've got a society where people actually think experts know something. It's so different here because people expect people expect the government to do things and they know that private business is just going to run it and make a huge profit and do nothing for the people because that's what they do in their private lives when they run their own businesses. <laughs> so they know this. So they expect the government to take it over and the American idea that private business is better than government is absolutely insane. And this virus is is showing it. I think it's going to show up very clearly. The question is, are we going to get Sandy Hook style reform? Are we going to get actual reform when the virus runs its way through the U.S. health system? That's a good question. If only they would just copy Taiwan. But the made in the made in another country, not made here syndrome is so powerful in the U.S. And they're so, you know, complacent and 
and they believe they're the exceptions to everything. Well, that's something something I picked yeah. up on on uh, in um, which I talked a little bit about in the news brief the other day is did you see the comments by Terry Go? What did he say? Uh, this was interesting. I, I don't completely agree with him. Uh, you know, he's he's kind of over the top, but he actually made an interesting point. He said that he was blasting the WHO uh, for not allowing Taiwan into the WHO and WHA and all that. Sure. And he then Good also politics. came. I'm sorry. <laughs> Good politics. <laughs> yeah. For a man who's um, going to run for president, right? And then he, he came out and he basically said, he said, you know, right now around the world, people are more likely to listen to Taiwan right now anyway than the WHO anyway. His point basically being that right now the way Taiwan is handling it is such a model. And the WHO, if you look at it, the WHO is not really doing much of a job of co- coordinating the world response at all. But and Taiwan's do doing far yeah. better than the WHO at handling this so he was kind i don't think he i don't think that the world's listening to taiwan more than the who but that was a little bit over the top but i think he actually really has a good point there is that i think countries around the world are much more likely to listen to taiwan now and respect taiwan's opinion than they would have been just two months ago yeah i think i think you're right on that taiwan's People are complaining that it's not getting written up in the media, but I've seen quite a it few is. articles on it in all sorts oh. of, yes, in no, all sorts every, of media. Every major publication, New York yeah. Times, Al Jazeera, Wall, Wall Street Journal, NBC, ABC, um, Business Insider, Deutsche Wells, uh, and I've seen some others. Uh, those those are some of the most the biggest news outlets in the world and they're all writing these i I remember cbs one just specific just bluntly said taiwan is the is the model for dealing with the coronavirus but the other headlines were similarly uh complimentary all right so it's 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 all over the place well i think we've reached our stopping point all right remember to hit subscribe and if you're on youtube click the bell if you're or subscribe to us on your favorite podcast we're in lots of different places that's the fastest way to get the latest edition and now of course we also post it up on report.tw but some exciting news the site's undergoing a bit of a revamp so look we look forward to that all right be sure to tune in next time uh, this is our there's a lot going on in the news so be sure to check in next week I hope you enjoyed our podcast version today, folks, and uh, hope to see or or sense your presence (laughs) if we do a podcast next week. (laughs) All right. Have a good evening, folks. This has been brought to you by the Taiwan Report. For more content like this, become our patron at report.tw.